and find your way to John's Gospel, of course. John's Gospel, we are in chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Father, now this is Your Word, and it is our delight, the delight of every redeemed soul to hear it, Let it have its effect as Your Spirit applies it to our souls, our minds, our lives, for Jesus' sake. Amen. John 15, verse 12, This is My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are My friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask my Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The first thing that you should notice about this passage is that it is bracketed by this command to love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And so we we begin with the command to love and we end with the command to love. In in biblical studies, this is called an inclusio. Um, Like parenthesis, this bracketing tells us what the theme of this passage really is. By, By putting love at the front and then again at the end, Jesus is telling us that His command to love is the central thought of this passage. And so here's a little test this morning. What is the central theme of this passage? Love, right? That that you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, must love one another just as Jesus has loved us. So you can't walk away this morning and say, well, I didn't get the point. Well, there it is. You must love. Now, let's look at that. First thing that we see this morning then is that Jesus commands us as believers to love each other with love the love that He has given us. Read it again, verse 12. This is My commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so there's a logic here that tells us how this love works in our lives. Notice, first, we are commanded to have this love. He doesn't say... Well, it would be nice if you could love like this. Or, oh, I wish you would love each other like this. No, he says, this is my commandment. You must love like this. Now, how can that be? How can we be commanded to love? I mean, you know, if love is just a feeling... Which, which is what our culture tends to believe. It's just something that you know kind of takes hold of you and sweeps you along. Uh, but an emotion at heart, well, then you really can't be commanded to do that. I mean, you could, but it wouldn't make sense. 
But here's what we must understand. Love is not just a feeling that takes hold of us. It is a determination that we take hold of for Christ's sake. Love is the choice to act on behalf of others as Christ has taken action for us. And so second then, the the love we are commanded to give one another here is the very love of Christ Himself which He has given us. Verse 12 again, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is really sweet if you understand it. This will empower you to love better than you do. And so let's ask the question, Where does this love that we must have come from? You see, if I'm being asked to work up love for you, or to work up love for my wife, or even that guy down the street on a bad day, right? When when I'm in a bad mood, or I'm tired, or just sick and tired of it all. If I've got to work up love on a day like that, well, fat chance. Right? I don't have it in me, and frankly, neither do you. But that's not what we're being commanded here. Work up love. No, no. We are being commanded to take the love we've been given freely, fully, richly in Christ and share it out to others as He gives it to us. And how rich is this love we're talking about? Well, notice that that the the depths from which this love springs. Back up to verse 9 here in this 15th chapter of John to something Jesus we saw a couple of weeks ago said. He said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. Now, look at that. That's the root of this love. This is the source from which this love flows. It's this unfathomable love of God the Father for God the Son. This love that is eternally deep and everlastingly strong. This love that cannot fail, 1 Corinthians 13 says. This love the Father has for the Son is the very love the Son is now giving to us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And now we are to take that love from the Father through the Son. Christ is given to us and we are to begin giving it to others. But it's sourced in Him. Church, these are deep wells of love. And Christ has planted these deep wells into our hearts as believers. Don't tell me you can't love like this if you're a Christian. Because this is the love Christ has planted within you. Romans 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So love we are talking about is a resource planted in us. This love springs from the Father's love, is poured out through Christ into our hearts, and now we take that love He is giving and we share it to others like streams of heaven flowing in our veins. Now, I'm not saying that's always easy. I am saying, if you're in Christ, it's always possible. 1 John 4, verse 10 and 11, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said a new commandment, I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So where do we begin? We begin with the love Christ has for us. We we look to that love. We, We labor to understand that we have been loved like this. Right, So if you come to me in my office one day and you say to me, Pastor, there's this guy, I know he's a believer, but I don't even know where to start to love this guy. I'm going to say this. Start with Christ. Get your eyes on Christ and see how deeply and fully He loves you. Get your heart full of this love and then take that love Christ has given you and give it to that person. Give as has been given to you. But don't start with you. Don't try to work it up from inside. Go to Christ and get loved by Christ. And listen, this works in marriage, especially when you hit those hard places. Don't know how to love my wife. We're we're feuding. We're fighting. We're not seeing eye to eye. How has Christ loved you? Did He wait for you to get straightened out? Or did He begin to act for your benefit and act for your good and pour out His love upon you when you were still a mess? So you go love her in this mess. It works at home. Siblings, brothers and sisters, you're not getting along, you're fighting. How am I supposed to love this brother or sister who irritates me so? How has Christ loved you if you're a believer? How has He poured out love upon you? You do that. You serve them the way He's served you. It it works in the church when we don't see things eye to eye. Even out in the world, the places where we're called to be, we take the love Christ freely gives and we give it to others. And here's what I'm saying. Pray for this. Seek Jesus for this in your life. And listen, He will give it. We go to Him for it. What a love. Well, what kind of love? What what kind of love is this? Well, Jesus says it's the greatest love there is. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Interesting that we're on Memorial Day weekend in the military. This is one of those verses that that tends to be known as it talks about the self-sacrificing love and they use it to talk about how one soldier might give for his country or give for someone. And that's that's true. That is an amazing love. But but this love, as Jesus talks about in Himself, is higher and deeper and, and wider and broader and more glorious even than that. So here's the third thing we see, that Christ's love... The love Christ has given us is the greatest love in existence. His own self-sacrificial love. And and notice how active this is. This isn't a love that just sits and feels. This is a love that gets up and gives. You know, don't just tell me you love me. Show me. Isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't just send us love notes from heaven. Tell us how much He loves us and draw little hearts. He came and took action. He laid down His life. He showed us His love by the things He did. For many of us, that's what our families need to see. Not just us telling them, you should tell them, but not just telling, but showing. Romans 5.8, God shows His love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or, Or think back to John 13. A few weeks ago where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And do you remember how that all begins? John 13.1 says, Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. To the uttermost, it means. All the way to the very end. All the way to the fullest extent possible. 
And then He demonstrated that love by kneeling and washing their filthy feet, which then we saw was a picture of how He came to take up a cross and wash away our filthy sins. Giving Himself in our place for our sins. That's love. And notice that's exactly where Jesus goes here in verse 13. Greater love has no one than what? That He give His life for His friends. For His friends. That word for, we've seen before, is a word that means on behalf of, in the place of. Christ taking our place in death that we might gain His life. This is the full extent of His love. This is how far He has gone in loving us in loving you, dear believer. And now, He calls us to take up that same love which He has poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and spread it around to others. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. How are you doing that? Dear Christian, how are you doing that? In your life, how do people see this Christ-like laying down of self, putting others' needs ahead of your own? How do they see that? How are you giving yourself to them in such a way that they might find more joy in Him? Again, husbands to your wives. I mean, this one's explicit, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How are you laying down your life? I don't just mean you're willing when the bad guy comes in the living room to jump out in front of him and take the bullet for her. Of course you do that. That's no question. But how are you doing that through the day-to-day and the dirty dishes and the mess and the struggle and the, 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 the work around the house and, and just her needing you to give yourself for her and the children in a way that is an evidence of a Christ-like love? Kids with your siblings or, or with your parents, parents to your children, all of us to one another. As He loves us, so must we love one another. Lots of application to work on there, right? Where does it start? We look to Christ. We see that we are loved by Christ. We are plugged into Christ and we let that love flow through us. So we who belong to Jesus have been given this special privilege and power of learning how to love like Jesus, our friend. And that's the second thing. And this is really glorious. Jesus, second of all, we're told, has claimed us as His friends. We are friends of the King. Notice how he says it. He says, you know, greater love is no one than to lay down his life for his friends. And then they're sitting there saying, well, who are your friends? Verse 14, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. Now listen, be amazed at this. If your mind was wondering, come back, be amazed. Because this is deeper and more glorious than you're probably thinking right now. Friendship was extremely important in the ancient world, more so than it is today. Because life was hard. And people just did not make it on their own. No, you needed family and you needed friends. By the way, you still do. But people in that day took friendship very seriously. There were even these rituals and ceremonies that they would use to publicly mark friendship. Uh, On a personal level, uh, you might 
take a legal oath or a legal pledge uh, to, to affirm your loyalty to a friend. You remember how David and Jonathan did this in the Old Testament. Or you could be gifted with friendship by a person of higher status, like maybe a king, who would then choose to set his love on you, who would then confer on you a new position as his friend that gave you access to him and special privileges in his kingdom. That was a real thing. And I believe that's what Jesus is talking about here with this amazing statement in verse 14, You are My friends. Now, this word friends in Greek is philoi. It's from the word phileo, which is a type of love. We would call it a friendship love. Loving is a friend. Or a close beloved friend was a philos. Or a group of them were a philoi. And Jesus says... That's what you are to me, disciples. You're my close friends whom I love. Now, in context, he's speaking specifically to those disciples. By implication, John 17 later makes clear, this is including us. And so in the context, we are meant to understand that Jesus is saying, you are those whom I have chosen to love as friends of the King. Friends of the King. Can you imagine What a privilege that is. In the whole of the Old Testament, with all those saints we read about, there are only two men there who ever gain anything like this friendship status with the king. There's Abraham. Isaiah 41.8, God calls him Abraham my friend. James 2.23 in the New Testament, he's called a friend of God. And then there is Moses. Exodus 33.11, we're told God spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Abraham and Moses, that's it. These two, no more. Even David doesn't get to be called a friend of God. And now Jesus looks at His disciples and us with them and He says, You are My friends. You are My friends. If you do what I command. Oh, now wait a minute. We're anti-authorian in this culture. Right? We don't like that part. Why this condition? Why this if? Why this limitation? Why if you do what I command? Because here's the second thing. Please listen very carefully. Here's the second thing. Because we are Jesus' friends, but we are not His equals. And you've got to remember that every day. He is not your good old buddy in the sky. He is not your homeboy. If you own that shirt, throw it away. He is and remains and always will be the King. This friendship that He has given us is a privilege to be honored and amazed at and cherished and embraced, but it is never a right to be abused. Because with this privilege of friendship come great responsibilities. Imagine it like this. You and I are peasants in the kingdom. We're poor, we're penniless, we're ragged. No, 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 worse than that, we are rebels and thieves. We've spent the whole of our lives stealing from the king in callous disregard for his authority, even siding at times with his enemies. And one day the king in all of his grandeur comes for a visit in love 
He makes His way to our house where He pays off all of our debts, forgives all of our sins, and there are lots of them, invites us to come home and live in His palace and sit on His council and be His friends from this day forward. What a privilege. So what do you think will be required of us now that we are the king's friends sitting daily at his table. One thing above all is required. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't require our insight. He requires one thing, that we be loyal. That we respond to His kindness with loving, loyal hearts. Think about it. That's the great betrayal of Judas. Judas, as the psalmist says, was Jesus' friend sitting at His table, sharing His bread, and He lifted His heel against Him in betrayal. And thus He's called the son of perdition. And this is what Jesus is saying in verse 14. You are My friends. I have made you My friends. But I'm still the King. And you must do what I command. You must do what I command. Not in order to become my friends, but because you are my friends. My friendship is a gift, but it puts you in a place where now you must walk with me. As one man put it, obedience to Jesus does not make us His friends, but it marks us out as those who are His friends. In other words... You don't become Jesus' friend by your obedience. You show that you are His friends by doing what He commands. And the words here indicate a lifestyle. Uh, My heart's desire as a friend of the King is to please Him. Because I love Him. Because I trust Him. I, I mean, I'm a friend of the King. Say that with me if you're a Christian. I'm a friend of the King. And that means something. But listen, He is still the King. And I'm still His subject. But now I get to obey His loving commands from a heart set free. And that brings us to the, to, the, to the third thing here. And that is, our obedience to Christ, our friend, is now a response of love to Him, not a fear of punishment. Verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, literally slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. There's a fun little word play in the original here that I just can't resist. Um, The words for servant and friend in this little thing Jesus says actually rhyme. Um, Douloi, servants, Philoi, friends, douloi, philoi. I'm not sure you gain anything of value in knowing that, but I'm just geek enough to think it's pretty cool. But, more important than the rhyme is the contrast between these things. No longer douloi, we are now philoi. No longer slaves, we are now His friends. Now think of that. Think about what that means. Because there is a sense in which we are, of course, still His servants. Paul even uses this same word, douloi, to talk about us being bond slaves. So what's the point of this? Here's the point. Jesus wants us to understand how the motive for our obedience has now changed. 
We no longer obey like slaves, cringing with fear before the law, obeying Him because we have to, but we wish we didn't. We are now friends of the King who from hearts full of gratitude and trust and love for Him want to serve Him. Slaves obey out of fear. Friends obey out of love. Slaves obey under compulsion. They're forced to. They don't want to. Friends do so because they trust Him and know Him and desire to walk with Him. Hey, what kind of obedience marks your life right now? And I'm assuming obedience, right? Because if there's no obedience and no desire for obedience, don't kid yourself, you're not a Christian. I don't mean perfect obedience because nobody in this room has that. But I mean there's the desire. That's what it means to be His friend. So what kind of obedience is shaping your life? Do you obey begrudgingly out of fear? Or do you obey joyfully from love? Are you doing the right thing, but, but, but with, but with a, a sullen defiance, like the kid in that old joke, right? His mom says, sit down, and he doesn't want to, and he sits there with a sullen face and crossed arms saying, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Is that you? Or do you have a heart of gratitude uh, to, 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 because you want to know Him and you love? You've been loved by this King. Of course you want to serve Him. In fact, look, look at the rest of verse 15. He says, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. We don't obey him blindly. That's a slave obedience. He didn't just give us ten commands and say, okay, do it or die. Though that's how we sometimes treat him. No, no, he's given us so much more. He's given His Word filled with promises and pledges and assurances to win our hearts. <laughs> In fact, again, again, look what He says, verse 15, the rest of it. He says, I've called you friends for all that I have heard from My Father I have made known to you. Do you see what that's saying? Our relationship with Him is not just a matter of doing commands. Again, that's a slavish obedience. Slaves have no relationship to the Master. Slaves have no understanding of the Master's purposes. They don't really care. They have no buy-in. There's no love at the heart of that relationship. But the King's friends have been invited into the inner chamber, into the very council room of His heart. We read His Word and there we find His heart. We learn of His love for us and His mercy for a world broken by sin. We see His his eternal plan of redemption to bring people out of this world into His arms, into His heavenly realm of love. We learn there how for for this very purpose Christ came and died for us sinners, rose on the third day, ascended to the Father's right hand, and how from there He will return like a bridegroom coming for His bride to take us home to live with Him forever. He's explained that to us to give us a reason for our faith, a hope for our future, a joy in our hearts so that our present obedience is motivated by love as we walk with our friend waiting on His final return. Do you get that? And that brings us third to this then. Jesus, we're told, chose us to be His friends. 
so that we would indeed join Him in His work. Verse 16 and 17, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Notice first, the initiative for this friendship begins with His choice of us, not ours of Him. See, see, you didn't go searching for the king and say to him when you found him, oh, please let me be your friend. He came to you. The king came looking for you. You didn't make yourself his friend by your wonderful behavior and general amazingness. He chose you, in fact, when you were still his enemy, Romans 5 says. And by grace chose to make you His friend. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And here, Jesus is saying the same thing. You did not choose Me, but I chose you. Now what is that? That is a clear statement of His absolute sovereignty. The emphasis in this verse falls 100% on His doing and 0% on yours. You, in fact, were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 says you couldn't do anything. Yet God made you alive in Christ. You were far from Him, Ephesians goes on to say, but Christ brought you near. Long before you knew to choose Christ, He chose you and said, I'm going to make you mine. And so the grace that saves begins with God, not us. The mercy that takes rebels and makes them friends owes its existence to God and God alone. Hallelujah! And so as the grateful recipients of that grace, we respond with faith and gratitude and yes, obedience. Second, the one who chose us to be His friends has appointed us to a worthy task. Verse 16, You didn't choose Me, I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, remain, it means, so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He will do. This word appoint speaks of an assignment. The one who saved you has a purpose for your life. Christian, listen, never say your life has no purpose. You might not understand that purpose, we maybe need to teach you what it is. You might not be living according to that purpose right now the way you ought to be. Maybe there's an area of repentance that is needed, but, but Christ has given you a clear purpose that you must understand. He says, I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and I mean the kind of fruit that lasts forever. What's he talking about? Well, remember the context here. In fact, if you were to go back to verse 5 of this current speech of Jesus in John 15, He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. Apart from Me, 
Apart from this ongoing relationship of love that you now have with me, apart from that, you can do nothing. You see, you weren't made. Listen, you were not made to spend your life on yourself. You were not made to waste these heartbeats that He has lent you, these breaths that He has permitted you. And every time you begin wasting your life on foolish and inane things, your life will begin to feel empty and fruitless. Of course it will. There's a reason for that. Because you weren't made for yourself. You were made for Me, Jesus says. And apart from Me, you can do nothing. But in Me, living in union with Me, taking hold of My love and grace which I give so freely to My friends as you rely on Me and walk with Me and obey Me as My friend, I'll see to it that you do bear much fruit. Amen. <laughs> you see, that's My purpose for your life, Jesus says. That you would know and walk with Me and with Me bear much fruit. <sighs> I mean, back in Ephesians chapter 2, right after telling us, it is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of works. He then completes that thought in verse 10, reminding us that this salvation is in fact leading somewhere. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved into the works that God has prepared for our good and His glory. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what Jesus is saying here. We exist to walk with Him and work with Him for the glory of His name. We are saved by His choice to live a life in His grace that will bring Him good fruit for the glory of His name. Say it again. We are saved by His choice into a life by His grace that will bring Him good fruit for the glory of His name. Look, and by the way, not just good fruit, did you see? Not just good fruit, but lasting fruit. Eternal fruit. Fruit that will remain. Meaning what? Well, I think it's a reminder that Christ's purpose for our lives extends way beyond us as individuals. It is not just about getting His kingdom into me, but through me bringing His kingdom to others. Notice that in verse 16. Again, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear good fruit. That you should go and bear good fruit. We go bearing good fruit by being those through whom He takes disciples and makes more disciples. Right? Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We are sheep. Well, what do sheep do? Primarily, the biggest thing sheep do is sheep make more sheep. <laughs> That's what sheep do. The life we have from Him, we give away to others and bring them into the same sphere of His love. And so, as He forms His character in us, as the good works and good fruit are formed in us, that the goal is not just that He would renovate us, but through us, as we are renovated by His presence, we, His friends, live in life with Him so that more and more friends are brought into His circle of love. And by the way, that's what we pray for. Did you notice again? I think it's the third time in John 15, the third time that we see this linkage of the promise 
for those walking with Christ that they will know answered prayer. That you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in My name for My purposes, He will give to you. This, this tight connection again between the life lived for Christ, a life dedicated to His purposes, and the promise of answered prayer. He says that as you pursue a life that is shaped by My will, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Right? Just remind you, prayer is not like DoorDash. It's not there so you can ask for more goodies to be delivered to your belly. Prayer is your lifeline to the King. It's a hotline to His heart where you ask for what you need to accomplish His will. Where you ask for His strength to obey with joy. Where you ask for His love to flow through you. And as you ask with His will in mind, He gives the assurance you'll have all you need to serve as His friend. And then He ends this section with, well, exactly how He began. Verse 17, These things I command you, Why? So that you will love one another. Church, week after week, day after day, we ought to be able to say, love dwells here because the King dwells here. Love dwells here because the friends of the King walk with the King in that love. And as the King supplies all we need to represent Him in this world, as we yield ourselves to following Him daily, our friend King Jesus promises to work through us and give us all we need to bring more and more people into the circle of His love. And how do we know He loves us? How do we know He is indeed our friend? Well, because... As our friend, He laid His life down for us on the cross, showing us the greatest love there is, pouring it into our hearts, assuring us both of our salvation and of His love for us so that we now live in and walk in that love, carrying that salvation out to others with our deeds and our words. Amen. Amen. Father, I am overwhelmed to think about this title of being friends of the King, not through our efforts or winning You, but through Your mercy in winning us. Oh Father, would You call out even now some who have doubts and are unsure to look by faith alone to Christ and His finished work and to have this assurance of this new status and this new place of love. Would You bend and shape our lives so that because of Your love, in response to that love and mercy, we indeed are, are living eager lives of obedience. We want to obey. Lord, we, we, we're convinced, we believe that obedience to You is the best life there is. That, that obeying You is not this heavy burden that You've put on us to squelch us, but it is the freeing liberty of Your Spirit that benefits us and those around us. God, help us not only see it that way, but live it that way. God, I want a life that, that is more and more centered around Jesus and is more and more an evidence of obedience to Jesus because I want Jesus to shine through us, through this church, through my life. Lord, bring that about as we trust in You for Christ's sake. Amen.